Van Morrison in our midst. I requested that song and, uh, for purposes of the message, and Don said, well, I'm not sure we've got anybody that can sing it. Well, we found somebody, didn't we? <laughs> Thank you so much. You recall last week, I talked about avocado toast. Well, on Monday, Greg and Julie Lander showed up at my office with avocados and bread so I could try avocado toast. So I'm thinking about what other meal I can mention today that you might show up tomorrow at the office and, and uh, share that with me. <laughs> right, right. Um, anyway, that, that was a fun thing. And, and I did have avocado toast, and I took a picture of it and sent it to Greg and Julie, so they were excited about that. <laughs> Thank you to Stephanie and Cheryl for the, the stage props and, and display. Uh, it's going to be very helpful, and I appreciate their efforts in, in making that happen for us. You know, today uh, we begin a five-week series called Can You Hear Me Now? And it's a takeoff on the old Verizon uh, mobile phone commercial where the guy's wandering around, Can You Hear Me Now? But I was thinking about that one day and thought, you know, does God ask that of us? Can you hear me now? So these five sermons, these five messages are going to focus on the need for us to hear God and the things that may get in the way, the things that may challenge us, the things that may create conflict. Uh, we're going to begin today in a moment with a film clip from City on a Hill, a Showtime series featuring Kevin Bacon as an ethically challenged FBI agent. And at one point in the series, uh, Jackie Rohr, the character, has a lot of conflict with the DA, and at one point they have sort of a joint win about a particular event. And so they go to the bar and they're sharing drinks and talking about life and, and the struggles, and then they step outside. And we'll pick up the story there. Sorry. You know, when I was a kid, we were poor. I mean, you could tell, because at the advent of redlining, we would live with the black people. And I used to sneak into the Baptist church, because I loved to listen to them say. I know. I was sitting in the back of the church, and I would see these people sing and testify, and I would think to myself, what do they have that I don't? What do they know that I don't know that lets them smile and sing like that? And I never figured it out. I never. I never figured it out. Never. What do they have that I don't have? What do they know that I don't know that lets them smile and sing like that? Well, there are lots of Jackie Roars in the world. People walking around doing life and trying to, to make it as well as best as they can, and yet there's something missing inside. They may even see it around them like he did in the, in the church and watching people praise and sing and smile, but he couldn't figure it out. There are people around that are trying as hard as they can, but they feel empty 
and dead inside. They're missing that power inside. They're actually walking dead people. They are the walking dead. Living life, but without life inside. Well, in Jesus' time, there was a place for people like that. The place for people that were actually the walking dead. It was a place called Gehenna. In the Hinnom Valley, around Jerusalem. Let me pause just a second. Patrick, I'm, I've got, there we go. Um, if we have trouble, I'll use the other remote for the slide shift. So. The Hinnom Valley was, uh, and you see the big sort of cavern or canyon area right there as well. In ancient times, this valley was used for child sacrifices to the uh, god Moloch. And thousands of children were thrown into this pit as sacrifices to that god. In Jesus' day, it became the place where garbage and sewage was directed. It came, became the place where actually uh, unclaimed dead bodies were tossed. But it also became the place where the shunned of the world were forced to live. A place where there was no joy. A place where it was hard to hear God's voice. A place where people were struggling to hear and understand. Gehenna was a place for the walking dead. Those people unable to hear God's voice. Well, Jesus referenced Gehenna, and it became sort of a synonym for hell in the New Testament. But he referenced it in one of his most scathing attacks on the Jewish leaders. What are you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of Gehenna. A child of Gehenna was a child of hell. And he's calling them children of hell. But he's also saying that those people that you uh, wrap up into your belief system and your legalese and all of the ways you demand people live, you actually make them double children of hell. Walking dead are powerless. They're missing a power source. And they weren't, find, they weren't going to find it in, in the Jewish obligations to that faith. And Jesus challenged those leaders and condemned them for their habits and their methodologies of bringing people into Gehenna. That powerless people. There was a Super Bowl commercial featuring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Salma Hayek as Zeus and Hera. Well, let me take a, take a look at this picture. Sorry about this. Okay, here we go. Zeus and Hera. And in one particular spot early on in the commercial, there's a guy with a hedge trimmer going on and, and it dies on him. And he looks out to Zeus and says, hey Zeus, I need some help. So Zeus kind of zaps the hedge trimmer and it comes back on. The next scene, there's a golf cart riding along and Zeus is out there putting on the green and he hears some guys yell, hey Zeus, we need some help. And he zaps the golf cart and it comes to life. It actually was a commercial for a BMW iX, an all-electric vehicle. 
And so you see them in the vehicle, and he has, he's enjoying that, and he's providing zaps for all of the energy that's needed around. So there is power needed. There was a power source missing without that electrical source, without that power source. And without Zeus, without that power source, it was, only, it was an $85,000 piece of metal and plastic to look at. It wasn't going to take you anywhere. It wasn't going to move you anywhere unless there was a source of power. There are people around us and our families in our community and beyond that are looking for life. They're looking for change. They're, they're looking for meaning. And they don't call it this, but there's something missing. There's a power source missing. They truly are the walking dead. God is the power source, and we hear these words in Ephesians. You were living in your sins and lawless ways, but in fact you were dead. You used to live as sinners when you followed the ways of the world. God loves us deeply. He is full of mercy, so he gave us new life because of what Christ has done. He gave us life even when we were dead in sin. God's grace has saved you. God's message is that we, he is the power source. God is the power source to give us life, to change us from the walking dead in sin to new life in Jesus Christ. So they're the walking dead that we're talking about today, but we also are going to discuss the fact that God's message is often lost in translation. There's a movie called Lost in Translation that was produced by Sofia Coppola. Bill Murray and uh, Scarlett Johansson play the lead characters in the movie. And Sofia Coppola set the movie in Tokyo. Now, Bill Murray's character is going through a midlife crisis, and he travels into Tokyo, and being in a foreign country with a foreign language that he doesn't speak, it really emphasized his feeling of disconnection, his feeling of alienation, and his trouble that he was having. And he and Scarlett Johansson's character become friends and start talking about life. And at one point, she says this to him, I just feel so alone, even when I'm surrounded by other people. Have you ever felt that way? There's a crowd around you. Maybe it's a family gathering or a community gathering or with friends, but things are going on in your life in such a way that you feel alienated. You feel lonely in the midst of not being alone. You're around other people, but you feel lonely. There's that alienation, there's that disconnection with life. And we look at this title slide and we see all of these stimulus, all of the, the screens and all the noise and all the, the words coming at us. And we realize that, that God's message is often muddled because of all the noise or because we can't quite understand it. It's, it's lost in the translation. To many people, God's message is irrelevant in their eyes. They don't quite see the connection between a faith and someone they can't see and a faith in something that is seemingly disconnected so much from their everyday lives. Some, it's confusing. They're hearing words, and every now and then they recognize one, they recognize something, but they can't quite get clear with it. And often, there are others who think it contradicts their own experience. So for whatever the reason... 
God's message is lost in translation. Think about a couple of passages I'm going to share. John 3.16 is sort of our banner passage as Christians. For God loved the world so much that God gave God's only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now that makes so much sense to us. We've learned, many of us have known that verse since we were children. We've embraced it. It's a simple truth that we've shared with others in hopes that they might come to Christ in faith in Him. But think about when it's lost in translation. That person that, that we may say that to, that person that may hear that, and they're thinking, okay, I can take the fact that God loves the world, but God gave God's only Son? Really? You, you really believe that there's a physical person that was the Son of God? That doesn't make much sense to me. And that the, whoever believes in this Son will not perish but have everlasting life. I'm not sure about this everlasting life thing. I'm not sure what that means and how that, what that is described as in the Bible. I don't understand. So something that's so simple and straightforward to us in such a straightforward passage can be such a challenge to those who are trying to understand and are lost in the translation. In 2 Corinthians 5, 19, I've shared this last couple of weeks, God was in Christ reconciling the world to God's self. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So I'm hearing that. It's lost in translation to me, and, it's, and I don't quite understand. God was in Christ. I, I'm not sure how you explain that to me. Reconciling the world. Reconciling what? What needs to be reconciled? And I, the only reconciliations I'm aware of are those between people and, and in relationships with family and friends and, and spouses. The reconciliation that needs to take place, those words of forgiveness and but that God way out there is about reconciliation, I just don't quite understand because it's lost in translation. So much is lost in translation until we become the translation. We are the message of Christ to others. I, I think it's seldom when a person just reads a verse of scripture or reads a truth about Christianity or is list, uh, hears one from us, that that is the pivot point in their lives where they accept it and believe it and embrace it. I think it's more common that people come to Christ because they know others who have come to Christ. Those people are the translation of God's message. Those people are the translation of God's love and God's compassion and God's care. We are the translation. The translation comes from people like these. People all around the world, different colors, different faiths, different perspectives, different backgrounds, different heritage, but those who are Christians all over the world are the translation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are the ones that the message comes to others. We are the ones that translates God's love for others. This is how it goes about, according to the Scripture. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or demonstrate what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give the reason for that hope. Don't always be prepared to quote this scripture or to share this verse. Be prepared to answer the question you're hoping they ask. Someone inquires about what is it going on in your life. I don't have that. It's like the Jackie Roars of the world saying, what do they know that I don't know? I've never figured it out. How do we know we're prepared to do that? Well, St. John of the Cross is a Catholic saint, lived in the 1500s, and wrote a poem called Dark Night of the Soul. And Van Morrison, in fact, was, was inspired by that poem to write this song. Here the church bells ring and talks about his, his spiritual journey is interwoven into that about how music is, is uh, three chords. And so that message that he shares in that that, was inspired, that inspired that song is from this poem. The Dark Night of the Soul is about that period of time when you pull aside, you come to a quiet place, and you're looking for that purification of your senses. And in the Catholic Church, it's often the, the pattern that people will formally step aside. They'll go to a re retreat center and have 24 hours of quiet and silence and the challenge that St. John puts into this poem is that, that many of us live with some light in our lives, but often it's light that is human-generated and not the spiritual light. Many of us live and can, can uh, manufacture compassion, but it's not quite as deep as God's compassion. So he challenges us to pull aside and empty ourselves in a way, annihilate those counterfeit qualities, those qualities that aren't quite the God's qualities that God wants to share with us. So we move from that shallow love, that, that natural light, emptied out and to become poor in spirit, to have union with God, and then we can be that translation for people. The church in 2022 has a message, has ways that we can approach the walking dead, those without the power source. One of those ways is that we can establish deliberate relationships with our community. Now, FCC has a history of doing that. But we need to continue to press forward and not, not rest on the established relationships that we've had and patterns we've had in the past. We need to build on those. Deliberately engaging the community in new ways, in new thoughts and ideas, in ways to engage them with us and for us to be able to be a witness to the community and the lives that we care about. The church in 2022 can find ways to reach beyond geography. Well, we're already doing that with the online capabilities that we have, but we realize that, that much of our focus and much of our excitement about church comes from us all being together in a physical place. And it's great. Last week we had 107 people here. And so that's beginning to build again with the spring coming and the mask mandate hopefully going away soon. And, and so there's energy around that, but we reach beyond geography and find ways to touch others and make 
our ministry available to others. And third, I, I think we need to focus on life-giving missions. Now, I use the term life-giving to sort of hone in on the fact that, that our missions and our engagement with the community is not only through writing a check or supporting another charity or doing different things that are very important, but ultimately we need to be touching other people. We need to be in their presence and they in ours so that we can have influence and share and learn from them and, and get to know them and have an impact. That's a life-giving mission in the sense that we engage with others in whatever activity we're doing. It may be a work project, it may be a, a mission trip that uh, uh, the, the youth are on to help do some construction or different act activities, but it's important that we engage with the people with what we're doing. It's not just the doing, it's the engagement. Focus on that life-giving missions. In ancient Greece, there were customs called xenial customs. Xenial are, are customs that they had for how to engage another community, how to relate from our community to this other one. What are the customs and, and processes that we can use to be effective and engage people all around us? And they had very structured ceremonies and customs that would do that. As a church, we need patterns and processes that we are constantly pushing to engage in missions. Growing up as a Southern Baptist boy in the church, I was part of the Royal Ambassadors. That was a missions-focused organization. I even remember the pledge. I do have it on the screen here, just so you know, but I do remember. As a Royal Ambassador, I will do my best to become a well-informed, responsible follower of Christ to have a Christ-like concern for all people, to learn how the message of Christ is carried around the world, to work with others in sharing Christ, and to keep myself clean and healthy in mind and body. That is a great pledge. And great challenges, meaningful challenges that, that can capture your heart and your mind in the way you look and work with other people. But there are bad ways to try to live this out. Example is when I was 11 years old, part of the Royal Ambassadors. Our leaders brought us in one night and they had little tracts or pamphlets with the four spiritual laws on those pamphlets. And they taught us what those were. We were able to read them and remember them and talk about them. And then one Saturday morning, they loaded about 20 of us in vans and drove us downtown Dallas and said, you walk around and give these to people and don't come back to the van until you've given them all away. Well, as an 11-year-old boy, that's a pretty scary thing. As a 66-year-old man, that's still sometimes a scary thing. And what use was it? We were doing the activity. We were trying to live out that pledge, but what person was going to just pick that in their hand and read it and and somehow come to a faith in Christ. Now I'm certain that there are people, as many people have tried that method, there are some that it was helpful to. and maybe a trigger for them to ask other questions and to come to faith. But there's so much more to a life-giving mission than that. So today as we think about the message being lost in translation, one of the guidelines that we need to have is that we need to keep the message simple. It's not complicated. It's simple and straightforward that 
about God and Christ and what we need to do to have a relationship with Christ. To have God in our life as a power source. So we need to keep the message simple. We don't need to bring someone to understanding just the the key points of the gospel for them all the way down to what it means to walk with Christ and to be in a church and all those things. We, we sometimes move at warp speed from this to what we're experiencing. And many people are way, way away from ever getting to where we are sitting in a church pew on a Sunday morning. So we keep the message simple. The other thing we need to do is we need to lift up those who can make the message relevant. There are people in, in the Christian world who are fantastic speakers and communicators in ways that help make the gospel relevant today to youth, to young adults, to our age group, your age group. There are people all around the world that are writing books and, and doing TED Talks and, and people that are very gifted in communicating the gospel in a relevant fashion. Here's a book called Evangelism in a Skeptical World by Sam Chan. He says, in a post-Christian, post-church, post-reached world, we need new methods to communicate the timeless message of the gospel in culturally relevant ways. Now, Sam Chan is uh, known to be an an evangelism expert and, and, and speaker, and he shares very focused on the act of evangelism. That's important. But I'm using this today to to give you an example. There are people who are working hard to make the gospel relevant, to share how it can be relevant to those around us. You know, we have ethics or principles and, and character traits that we're to have as Christians. Jesus says we're to love God and love others. And so that's to affect our approach to others, that that love. But sometimes we fall a little short. We get a busy doing the things of church, and we somehow have fallen away from what is really important beyond the doing. In Revelation, Jesus shares seven letters from Christ to seven churches. In one of the letters to Ephesus, it says this, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. The best illustration of of what Jesus is talking about is a marriage. Where early on you're doing all of these things and and you're you're captured by the other person, the personality, the, the love, the intimacy, all of those things are there. But over the years... You find yourself going through the motions of some things that used to have real life and energy in those acts. And Jesus is saying, you did some things in my name. You suffered for my name because of how you were doing church. But you've lost your first love, me. You've lost the connection to me. So repent, turn around, re-embrace me and your love for me. And then that will make the difference. That will be the power source that enables us to be the translation. Now, God's, John Calvin said this, God's kingdom is neither bound by location 
and space, nor circumscribed by any limits. How prophetic. He's, that fact was true then. But the fact that is true now as well is we're able to leverage that fact that it's not limited to geography and location and, and limits. The church has taken steps to be relevant online and to have Zoom meetings and Bible studies and all those things that are great. But we perhaps need to move to a place of thinking about an internet campus where actually there are few people focused on building a church online in the sense of activities, studies, information, communications, opportunities that may not be things that are happening here in this space but are things that we can support and engage with people around the world even. And we can attract others and, and link them into some of the things that we're doing on an internet campus. Certainly an internet campus can still uh, leverage the broad reach and, and enables the, the geo-separated families to worship together or to share Bible study together. Uh, that's all important. But we need strategies to connect people to our virtual church to that internet campus. For some, it'll never result in a link to the physical church. Hopefully there are people that, that we reach in other cities or even in this area. They were never gonna come to a physical church anyway, but maybe we can engage them in a way and capture their attention and minister to them through the internet campus. People may never visit the physical church and there are different levels of engagement. You know, in, in the last, 50 years, the church has changed in a sense that, that in the 70s, the 50s, 60s, 70s in particular, church was sort of uh, the same everywhere in the sense that everybody was to be involved in everything. If you had a church event, all the key people, all the core people were expected to show up at that event. You would announce it and people would come. And it was basically the same people coming to everything. And more and more we see people with different levels of engagement. Some are only interested in this. Some may be only interested in the sermon and they can watch it online. Some may be only interested in the music and they can hear it online or they can come and celebrate it here. But that's all their engagement. And some want to go much deeper through relationships, through Bible study, and, and engage in those ways. So we can accept that people want different levels of engagement. And we're not unsuccessful if they're not involved in everything different levels of engagement, different types of engagement, as I just mentioned. Some people are, have, are, are more intellectual in their approach to faith, and, and so some of the deeper, more uh, 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 different kinds of, of deep studies, Bible studies that looks into the, the depths and, and the, the study of those words and the Greek words and get all wrapped up in the details of that. And that's, some people are passionate about those things. Some people are not as interested in that, but they're looking for ways to connect to the scriptures and to Christ in simple ways. Different types of engagement. And also there's a diversity of material and information that we can share with others. You know, for the Jackie Roars, people like the Jackie Roar character. Let's be the voice and translation of God's love. Let's help bring the power source to the walking dead and break through the noise and chatter about how we live our church and community. If we do, they'll figure it out. If we do, they'll know what we know. 